0: For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Houndsman XP Podcast Network is taking you on
1: the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now.
2: I've been a member and supporter of Go Wild for over a year now. Man, how time flies. Their social media platform is For Hunters by Hunters. And if you followed me for any length of time, you know that I'm in the woods or on the water if I'm not working. And yes, some ask, do you work? Unfortunately, I do. It's a place that I post all of my trophies, no matter how big or small. (laughs) Mine, mostly small. I get tips, tricks, tactics, and advice from people who eat, breathe, and sleep the outdoors. I log all of my outdoor adventures, including the time spent listening to the best podcast in the land, The Journey, hosted by no other than yours truly so when i need anything outdoors i just log on to the go wild store pick out what i need and that's anything from hunting fishing camping optics outdoor wear and yes hound supplies so when you make your next purchase at go wild use our discount code hxp10 to go along with that free shipping i'm proud to partner up with the go wild team so let's get your journey started today here on Go Wild. This evening down in Missouri.
1: Well, it's hot and humid.
2: <laughs> you know, uh, we've had a lot of rain here for the last couple couple day. I mean, we're five, six days in, um, and I laid a track for my pups this evening, and it was an hour and five minutes old, and they just couldn't do anything with it. But it, it got really humid today. And tomorrow is supposed to be 85 and we're coming out of the 60s. So it's kind of like shell shock. We're going from 60s to the 80s. <laughs> so yeah. So the Ozark. So while we get while we get started on this, just tell everybody a little bit about who you are. Um, we've got, you know, we've got we've got an array of guests. And, you know, again, I'm so blessed to be able to interview people and be introduced to people from all walks of life all over the the country, actually all over the world, and that's the part of this podcast that I love, is getting to meet new people and learn new things. So we got uh, J.R. Lanham on from Missouri, down in the Ozark part of the Missouris, and we're going to bring you a little, a special treat here in a little bit, but I'm going to let Jr. introduce himself, tell you a little bit about himself, and then we'll get rolling on this.
1: Yeah. Well, there's not much to introduce. I'm just a good old country boy like everybody else. Uh, I don't guess I've ever known not having a hound. I mean, that's. Mm. I mean, my daddy was hauling me to field trials when I was just a little baby. I mean, had me wrapped up in a blanket. As a matter of fact, my old buddy Don Williams down in Arkansas said the first time he seen me, I wasn't much bigger than a squirrel and <laughs> and sick as I could be. Oh yeah. yeah.
2: Now, when you, your dad was hauling you around, was that with running dogs or was that with treeing dogs?
1: That was with running hounds. Running hounds. We, so, you were raised we, with them like Howard was too? Yes, I was raised with them except, for I, you know, it comes straight from my dad. He, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from the time I was born, he was going to competitions and, and mostly pleasure hunting back then. You know, we everybody hunted two or three times a week and, you know, went to a field trial just for fun and, you know, and for the visiting part of it with, you know with friends right now what breed was he running back then uh julys that's the only that's the only breed that he's ever had and, and basically the only breed i've ever had the in july. the running ham world july they're popular down in
2: y'all's way um out in the midwest i guess i you know i i knew about julys and you know the trig like i, I said before you know i'd, I'd had a a half and half trig half trig and half walker um couple uh that's been back in the early 2000s i had him and um like i said he i wasn't re- real impressed with his speed i think he took more, more after the tree dog than he did to run a dog um <clears throat> but uh you know i've got some trig mixed in mind now but july i mean that that seems to be the more people i talk to the more
1: you hear July. Yeah. And, and, and here's the deal with that. You know, kind of like they're popular here is there's more July hounds in a 150 mile radius of, of South Missouri than there is anywhere in the United States. Really? I mean, there's a lot of July hounds here. I mean, it always has been and, and still is. Huh. Well, you know, well, before we get
2: into that, um, I know you, you're not you're not tooting your own horn, but I'm gonna toot it for you. But so, Jar, you, you're a four-time national July field champion. Yes. And on top of that, you know you you tap into my second my second love is you're a six-time national turkey and calling champion, and you won second at the National Wild Turkey Federation in Nashville this year. Correct.
1: That is correct.
2: Yeah, and you're, you're you the you is it the U.S. Open champion?
1: Yes, I won. I won the U.S. Open back in '09.
2: Mm-hmm. '09, oh, and you have calls now. Do you make those, or does the company make them, and and you? They're under your name, but there's the Rolling Thunder, uh, the the Turkey call is patent. Is it patented by you?
1: well i'll tell you the deal on that my uh one of my very best friends in the whole wide world as a boy named josh grossenbacher from ohio and we compete together but anyway he works for rolling thunder and he he builds every call that rolling thunder has and and my call my signature series call those are calls that i've sat down with him and designed them and you know we stretch them to a certain ever call stretch a certain way certain latex and my buddy Josh is building them, but, but they're my design.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I was I listened to them on YouTube, um, and I, it was the one that was a cut. I can't remember the name of it, but, I mean, it sounded really good, like really good. And, I, I mean, I, I'm partial to a mouth call. Um, I mean, I can use a box or a slate, what, whatever, but the mouth call is what I prefer to use. Um so, tell us a little bit about your turkey, your your turkey venture. What got you into calling competitively?
1: Well, well, what got me into calling competitively was uh, was basically just my love for turkey hunting. I loved it. I mean, from the time I killed my first one when I was eleven years old, Daddy called me one up, and I killed it. Anyway, we were standing over it, and he said, "Well," he said, "I hope you enjoyed that because that's the last one. That you got to go do it yourself now." So. Anyway, that's the only turkey I ever had called up for me that I know of to this day. And I just went to hunting. And, boy, it took me a long time to ever get my first one called up, you know. But, man, it just, it it put the spark in me. You know, I, I really loved it. And anyhow, I mean, just my obsession with that got me where I got to be a pretty decent caller, you know. And, and, you know, down here in southern Missouri, you know, there's a lot of famous, you know, people in the turkey world. You know, Walter Parrott was... Five-time Grand National champion and uh, Ray Ives was come from this part of the world, you know HS guy, and, and some people told me said you know you're pretty good at that. You ought to start hitting them competitions. Well, I didn't even really know much about a contest or nothing, so I thought I'd go. I said well, you're the best in bunker, you better go. So I went to one. I loaded up, and went to one. I was about eighteen years old. And uh, it didn't take me long to figure out just because I was the best at Bunker didn't mean I was the best anywhere else. <laughs> and uh, I didn't fare too well. And now, but I did, there's kind of some unwritten rules in the turkey calling world. I mean, you know, the, the object is to sound like a turkey, but, you know, there's certain ways to, to have your presentation and, and present that turkey to the, you know, you're calling to judges. You're not calling to a turkey. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so you're trying to impress a human. But anyway, I didn't fare too well at the contest, but I did uh, learn enough just by watching everybody else and the people that did win to kind of get a feel for it. And now I went home, and I practiced, and I practiced, and I practiced. And anyway, when I went back the next year, I won it. Nice. Just a little little contest here at the house. And uh, so that got me going to a few more, and I'd start traveling out a little bit farther. And finally I won a little contest about 60 miles from here. And there was a boy judging it named Larry Shockey from Willis Springs, Missouri. And he told me, he pulled me the side afterward. He said, who, who's been working with you? And I said, "Oh, nobody. I just, I just call. And uh, he said, well, I judge, he said, I judge every big turkey calling contest in the United States. And he pulled up my score, showed me my scores. And he'd give me a 20 and a turkey foot beside it. And he said, uh, I judge the best callers in the world," he said, "and that's what I give you all day long. If you's one of them, and boy," he said, "you got to hit the road." And that that really got me going. But now, <laughs> funny part about that later on is old Larry judged me for years and years after that, and and that was the only twenty you ever give me. Eighteen's the most I ever got from him again. But, but that that kind of you know that kind of really got me going.
2: Yeah. Well, I sure do enjoy it. I mean, my, everybody that listens to this podcast knows that, you know, of course, my hounds are my first and foremost, and uh, I love spring turkey hunt in the spring, and I love to fish. Um, and I don't care what it is. I mean, I striper fish and bass fish, but I, I'm very obsessed with musky fishing. So it's those three things that I that I love to do the most. And turkey hunting is one of them. I mean, you know, it's like playing chess, you know, with a gobbler. And, you know, you and I talked a little bit before, you know, most of my hunting, is I'm having to do it on national forest, which has become overly crowded, and I've I've completely avoided it this year. This is the first year that that I haven't killed a turkey, a spring turkey, um, in the last seven. Now, before that was going through some... Family crisis and divorce and stuff like that, so I, I I put it on the back burner. That's why I took a break. But um, yeah, man, I I love the turkey hunt. And you've got to listen to Jar. You got to listen to one of our podcasts. Since you're a turkey caller, you need to listen to Chris Powell's horrible, horrible, wretched sound of a barn owl that he tries to Im- imitate. It'll make your dogs howl. It'll make you want to wear earplugs. I mean, it's awful.
1: He just don't give a deal who cooks
2: for you, huh? <laughs> that's right. I give him such a hard time over that. Uh, I like ribbing him every chance I get because it was horrible. But anyway, yeah. So I, man, that's pretty cool that you know you're a like I said a six time national champion, an open champion. Um, you've won numerous calls calling contests, and you know, like I said, I I'm man, I think I'm gonna hook me up myself up a couple of those calls. I really like the way they sound.
1: Yeah, you have to get yourself of them. I am. That's my plan. But no, you was talking about that—that uh, that Grand Nationals down in Nashville. That's the Holy Grail of turkey calling. That's—that's that's the contest you want to win. I mean, that's the one we all strive for. I've—I've I've won second twice, third, fourth twice, and fifth twice. I've never been able to win that
2: one. Hmm. Well, you're going back next year.
1: Oh yeah, You'll- yeah. I'll go back till I—I'll go back till I win it or don't.
2: Well, I plan on, I, I wanted to go this year, but work schedule, we were so short-staffed, I couldn't get off a couple of days to go, um, and we had literally just got back from the SHOT show, so my plan is to go this coming year, um, <coughs> so maybe if that's so, we can catch up down there.
1: Yeah, that'd be awesome. Have you, Have you ever been to the NWTF convention?
2: No, I sure have not. It's been on my, my to-do list, but I've not been yet.
1: It, it's an amazing place. Just imagine 900 booths mm. plumb full of turkey calls <laughs> just going off nonstop. It's just a yeah. turkey roar down there.
2: Yeah. May have to take some hearing hear, my hear, my earplugs, mightn't I?
1: Yeah, you may have to. <laughs> so, Gerald, let's
2: get into the hound part. Let's get into the, the dogs and, you know, I... I've got several questions and you know, I wanna I wanna hear your story about what what you do and I know that we had talked um briefly. How many hounds you got? How many hounds you running?
1: Well I'm I'm a running about twelve, fifteen head is what I'm running, but oh, I've probably got forty on hand, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. And you also besides the and let's just clarify so everybody understands. Um, you're running you're running coyotes, but you're more you're more of a pin runner and we'll we'll talk about that in just a second. But you're also running hogs with um Catahoula and Walker Cross. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So how many how many of those how many of those are you running?
1: I'm not, I just got 4 of them now. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: And I think it was interesting. So tell me about why just four? I thought that was very interesting when you was telling me about this.
1: Well, I mean, you know, when you think of hog hunting, you know, everybody, you know, it's the old bulldog and that strategy and everything. But, you know, I'm still fairly basically new to this. We never had wild hogs in this part of Missouri till about 2013. And uh, I went from – never seen a hog in my life to one day there's a big skiff of snow on and i tracked about 30 up under a bluff and killed seven of them well i the next thing you know i was tracking up in snow tracking up in snow and i killed like 165 that winter just tracking up snow i'd never seen a hog in my life well it's just like anything if it could be hunted and i could hunt it with a hound that's what i was gonna do so i got me some dogs and uh started out hog hunting about how i thought it, you know i would about like anybody else but it, it didn't take me long to realize, you know, I was, like I was telling you the other day, that it started to seem to me like less dogs, more hogs. You know, uh, this country down here in the Ozarks where we hunt, you know, it's real open, real, real big timber. You know, there's places in the woods where we you can see 250, 300 yards through the woods. Hmm. And, uh, you know, there's no really brush or clear cuts in the part of the world I'm in down here. And finally, I got to hunting them dogs. Well, actually, a buddy of mine is kind of what got me into it. He had a blue heeler, and uh, and he would track them things down and bay them all by himself. But every time you got there, he'd be standing back 40, 30, 40 yards, and they might be 20 hogs huddled up there.
2: Now, was he barking That's... when he was there?
1: Yes, he was okay. bait.
2: Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. And uh, he'd be baiting and they'd slip down there. Well, they there'd be 20 hogs, you know, holed up there. We just slide down there with automatic rifles and go to shooting. them. we might kill a dozen of them right there. And the way he'd go with them, about two miles later, he'd have them huddled up again. And we just spend all day doing that. You know, we have killed as high as twenty three today, just off that one duck.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's inter- I mean, I guess that's interesting. When do they? And I, am I mean, I'm like I said, I'm not. I'm illiterate when it comes to hog hunting. I. I, I've never done it on purpose. Um, there's been a guy that stocked some hogs here in one of our areas that we hunt years ago, but I think the DWRs got them trapped out. Um, and we called a couple of those here and there um, through the years and not on purpose. Like I said, I, I'd rather my dogs not fool with them, but um, every time that we called them now we did catch a group of five at one time. But every other time that I was that, that we ran into them, it seems like they would split and the dogs would just single out one. The journey on Houndsman XP has teamed up with one TDC. This dual action support for oral health and mobility in our dogs. This unique supplement is so effective that it is recommended by top veterinarian experts worldwide to maintain and improve our dogs' health in four different areas their oral health, hips, joints, and muscles, skin, coat, energy, and recovery. Guys, I've been using this product for the last six months, and it has been a game changer for me. If you're looking for something to help with the overall health of your dog, go to WorkSoWell.com and give this product a try. It is highly recommended by Houndsman XP here on The Journey you like to be outside like i do hunting fishing hiking if so onyx is the app for you i've been a loyal onyx user for years it's the one app that i can honestly say i use daily while hunting i know where i'm at at all times i mark trails bedding areas feeding areas and the list goes on in my travels i use it to pre-scout all the new places that i am blessed to hunt last year while hiking yellowstone I used Onyx to map out the trails and know the difficulty of each one. And here's a secret. I mark all of my favorite fishing spots on Onyx. It's been a game changer for me at work. I've used it multiple times to get in touch with property owners. Onyx has so many great features and tools, you can literally use it in your everyday life. It is, by far, the best mapping app on the market. And hey... It's approved by yours truly at Houndsman XP. So when you go to subscribe to OnX, use our code HXP20 and get you a discount. So get your journey started with OnX and know where you stand.
1: Yes. Yeah, see, and that's what had happened, Russ, telling you about, you know, like, if a person has five or six dogs on the ground, you know, they sure enough getting the hogs, take off, and, Bay, and you get down there, and just like you said, it's one hog.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, but you know, you take a good dog that knows to stay back just one dog, or maybe two. Sometimes you can get away with it with two dogs. But, man, they'll just, like I said, 99% of the time, they'll just all be – the old times used to call it rallying the hogs. They'd just be sitting there circling them. That one dog would just sit there circling them, and they'll just be all huddled up. and They'll usually let you walk within 15, 20 yards of them and start cutting loose in them. What's the hog population like down there? It's very low now. It uh, mm-hmm. We had a big hog boom about that time, I'm telling you, about 2012, 2013, and up to about 2016 or 2017. I mean, our hogs were getting out of control. They were really, really taking over. I mean, lots and lots of hogs. And, uh, you know, hog hunting started getting pretty popular down here. But, but in the last two or three years, our conservation department and the USDA, they've had a pretty rather extensive trapping program and, and helicopter shooting and they they've really got them thinned back
2: hmm. and uh, is it because of thought, the destruction the destruction of the 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 landscape or what what was the purpose of that
1: oh yeah that it was destruction i'm gonna tell you something they was they was one of the funnest things in the world there was to hunt but they're absolutely a worthless animal i mean it wouldn't be nothing to come down them old hardwood ridges and just for as far as you could see for two miles, just tore up and rooted and, and destroyed everything and eat every acre in the woods. And they just, in just a few short years, they here. You couldn't imagine the difference it made in the deer hunting, and turkey hunt. I mean, huh. deer, the deer, I mean, they're not affecting the deer, I don't think, but now they don't like to be around them. You know, places I deer hunted my whole life is full of deer. You never seen a deer and, and they started slipping away and and now I'm just starting to wonder if maybe that wasn't a big problem with our turkey decline we've had around here because for the last they've really been on the downhill for about the last three years, but this year hogs are almost non existent. And I'm seeing baby turkeys every day all over and if you see an old hen she's got nine or ten. I've seen I've seen two hens with so many you couldn't count just a while ago. So I haven't seen that since the hogs have been here, so I'm I'm just starting to wonder if that didn't have something to do with it
2: well i have heard i mean and again i'm i'm telling you something that i've heard and not i don't have any scientific proof of it but yeah i have heard that before that the hogs um pretty much root everything else out of that area so they'd probably and i mean i'm sure they're eating turkey eggs
1: oh they did anything they get their mouth on yeah you know a lot of people, you know, you can't really blame it. I don't know if you could blame that on the hogs, because you know, like look at Texas; they're absolutely up with hogs. They've got a lot of turkeys too. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know how much they actually like affect them on that end. But I, I mean, if you'd seen where they really, come down these ridges, I mean, them are stealing, you know, the food source from the rest of the animals. That that's had to play a role on you know in some things.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it does. So. How much hog hunting do you do? Does, how much time does that occupy? Do you just do it when you don't have anything else to do? Or is it something you, you know, pretty do pretty regular? What's the what's the pattern there?
1: Well, about five or six years ago, it was something I did absolutely every day. I mean, that I could. I mean, if I was not doing that, now it's hog hunting. Mm-hmm. But now, like, oh, now I ain't had dogs out in several months. Now there's no hogs now. I mean, mm-hmm. basically. Right, right.
2: So let's talk about the. Let's go back to the Julys, <clears throat> and I've got you know I've got several questions that I, um, I want to follow up on from when I talked to Howard. But just tell me about your 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 four time national champion. Um, tell me a little bit about the dogs, and I want you to explain to listeners what you was telling me about how you know the. You're, you're and Howard are kind of on the opposite ends. You know, he's more of an outside hunter, what he called it. And right now, the inside's what's keeping you in business.
1: Right, yeah. We'll touch up on that, but uh, but no, I guess to get started uh, with the hounds, you know, it's kind of like I was telling you earlier. I don't, I don't remember not having a July hound. You know, there's never been a point in my life that I didn't own one. My dad had them, and then just as soon as uh, I got big enough. You know, I started having them, and me and my dad was kennel partners there for several years, and here about 10 years ago, we, you know, unfortunate circumstances and stuff, he just didn't have the time anymore, tending some family manners, and uh, I took over all the hounds, and and that's where I got my, you know, that's where I actually got my dogs, was to start, you mm-hmm. know, that, to say it was mine, as was my home, but. But no, that's a, they're basically just the same bloodline of dogs that you know we've had for forty years, and and I didn't get,
2: a, uh, I didn't get a, I don't think I got a like a definite answer. So when you guys and when your guys are are talking about the the bloodline or the breeding of the July, like is there is it like the 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 coonhound world where. Um, you keep up with all. and I'm sure. I guess that's not the question I need to ask. Like, what is the breeding? Like, what is um, what is some of the dogs that some of your running guys would recognize? It's in that's in your that's in your pedigree. You don't have to tell me exactly what if
1: you don't want to, but um, uh, yeah. what's in your pedigree? Okay. Well, you know, now it's kind of changing times now because of, you know they used to be July dogs scattered all over the United States. I mean, big-name dogs, you know, that they were Julys, but, you know, they kind of the, – the breeding kind of went to a name. Like there was, you know, Filson bred Julies, which was in, you know, Kansas or, you know, uh, Bill Smith Julies down like, Georgia. And then, you know, like there was a boy in Missouri named Rafe. You know, all the bloodlines had, like, names, but mm-hmm. they were all over. There was lots of them. But – but now there's not nearly as much, but you know that back then, you know it all went back. You know you had your Southern Julys, and that was what when you referred to him said, "Well, he's a Southern bred July," mm-hmm. and he would have been. You know there was a strain of Julys out of Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, that, uh, and they was probably the most pure Julys in the United States. And then you know you had your, uh, but you know they was more fox dogs, tougher, you know, run all night type of dogs. Well, then you know, as the coy- as the red foxes kind of went, the coyotes were coming in, you know. Then there was a breed of jo- dogs, you know, kind of the western julys coming out of Kansas, and they were more, you know, run to catch type dogs. And you know, but everybody kind of had their type of style of dog that they liked, you know. And the, I guess what I'm trying to say though, you know, the dogs we started out with was just kind of a mixture of the southern dogs there's a boy here in eminence missouri about 30 miles from here named seaman rayfield he you know he brought a lot of them southern bred dogs up into missouri so about everybody's dogs around here was that southern southern breeding and kind of a mixed with the mid midwest breeding and that's what our old dogs was you know when i was a little kid and you know those good pleasure dogs and uh, you know we caught some coyotes with them and we'd go to some competitions and do a little good but Nothing real impressive. And about back in 1993, my dad went to the national, the July National Championships, and it was in North Carolina. And, you know, and then there was Eastern bred Julys. And while he was there, there was a little group there that got traded around. Three or four different people owned him before the hunt was over. But dad ended up with him and brought him home. I didn't give $75 for him. And brought him home. And, anyway, we went to training that old pup, and like they never got him started he wouldn't start. But, anyway, when that dog started, he, I mean, he he's by far the most dominant hound we've ever had. I mean, he was fast, tough, you know, and he was just fox bred. He wasn't – he was bred for foxes. Wasn't supposed to run coyotes, you know, as well. But he was fast, tough. And, anyway, when we started campaigning him, Dad took him back to the July National in 9- 1996 and he won every category he won the hunting the trailing, the speed and drive won the hunt you know pr- pretty dominant fashion and uh I re- you know we had bigger goal for him though and they used to have a hunt here in missouri it was called the missouri open and it was the toughest you know it's supposed to be the toughest hunt in the united states they run a two seven hour days and a six hour day And they'd start out with 250, 300 dogs. Well, they'd usually be about 10 or 12 finish the hunt. I mean, that's all that would be able to stand that much running. And, uh, you know, the logo for the hunt was to finish was to win. Well, a July dog had never placed in that hunt, had never even gotten the top 10. And anyway, when Dad got that dog back from the National, it was about October. the, the, uh, The Missouri Open was in March. And I just went to running that dog every other day conditioning for that. But anyway, long story short, he won the Missouri open first July dog, dare place in it. And he won it. And that was, you know, that was a, you know, first one to do it. That was a, that was a big deal back then. And So you know, I want to, yeah,
2: I want to back up real quick. I got two questions off what you just said. So the dog took a long time to start, but once he got started, he ended up being a, a, a phenomenal hound. Um, did when you said that he was not supposed to be running coyotes he was a fox dog is there a like is there a difference like to me and i don't know that's why i'm asking like to me uh, a running dog should run in my mind this is my thought. a running dog should run whatever so what is it what what does the difference there
1: well and basically you're basically right there the difference there was you know, back then there wasn't any coyotes on the East coast, hardly, mm-hmm. you know, it was all foxes. I mean, right. so yeah, the, them dogs had run anything, but you know, his mom and dad and his, you know, all of his lineage, they, they'd just run foxes, you know? So.
2: I got you. So it's kind of like, you know, it's better for me to take a dog that runs bear because I have a better chance of my pups running bear. It basically the same principle.
1: Yeah. Basically the same yep. principle. And and plus, you <clears> know, it, you know, you can't evaluate them on anything else if they've only just run fox. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yep. Yeah. But, you know, but them, you know, them guys, they were breeding for a different type of dog, too. You know, if you only had fox to run, you know, you had to have a real, you know, gamey track running dog that, you know, sure enough know how to work a fox and, you know, would work them in the thick cover. And, you know, it's compared to like a Midwest dog, that would have to, you know, get up and run a coyote and use his eyes. It wasn't so much. A difference in the breeding it was you know a, to suit a certain own owner in a certain part of the country you had to have a certain your dogs run a certain way you know what i'm saying
2: oh yeah no absolutely um it's a huge difference from me being in the mountains here where i'm at um we have we have thickets but our thickets are you know laurel and rhododendron um and it gets thick but when i go to the coast and hunt it's a whole different type of ball game and you know my dogs, um, the the performance is different. You know, it's it's different because it's it's thick. It's greenbriars. It's swamps. It's pine groves. It's cutovers. Um, so yeah, I completely get what what you're saying there with the different parts of the country for the different styles, for sure.
1: But but now back to back to my story though. You know that that gr- this, that dog's name was Gray Boy. You know that we won with. But anyway, we took that dog. You know, he started getting bred too. Kind of, He was kind of a big deal there back I've in the seen that
2: dog's name in American Cooner.
1: But dogs, if you're looking, you know, on the Hunter's Horn.
2: My granddad can, used to have that, and I have seen that dog's name.
1: Yeah, but if, if you got a running hound book that's got any pedigrees in it, somewhere in there, and a lot of them will say Lanham's Gray Boy if they got any July in them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, but, you know, we took this. Freak of a dog. He was just a freak was all he was. He mm-hmm. was just a super athlete. And, you know, then we took him and started breeding in our southern and western, you know, type July dogs. And that, you know, that just turned the page for for my hounds, you know, that they just they just all evolved from there. I mean, you know, fast, tough dogs run their game. And, and that's just the style of dogs I've kept, you know, ever since.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, when you said that he was the first July to win, what what type of dog was winning that that competition before before you guys got into it?
1: Running walkers,
2: running walkers. Okay,
1: yeah, that's it all, and and maybe some trigs, some running walkers, and some trigs would have been the only thing. But like I said, they're you know running walkers, and I don't know if a trig ever did or not. I bet it probably had, but you know the only dogs that ever placed in it was the running walkers. You know, because July's, you know, July's weren't known for endurance. I mean, July's were, you know, were more of a faster type dog, you know, uh, run to quick to jump, run to catch. You know, that's kind of the motto with them. A little silent on track sometimes and don't, you know, cold trail a lot. And uh, they just weren't known for having enough stamina, to, you know, to compete in a hunt like that. Mm hmm. And, and none of the dogs that I ever, we ever had in the past would have even started to, you know. I mean, this was – we never had a dog that would have run the first two days of it, more or less the third one, you know. But when we started, you know, putting him into our bloodline, then, then that really produced.
2: Did, well, that's what I was going to ask. If He must have been a pretty good re- reproducer um, if you started getting stuff, stuff out of him
1: yeah the only downfall about it and i still see it in my dogs till today is they don't this bloodline of dogs it don't suit everybody because like i was telling you that old dog probably didn't start running until he's 16 17 months old and you know i'm down now to where i just got the closest thing i got to him from great great grandpups mm-hmm. but you know he's in all my blood but my dogs don't start like everybody else's you know or a lot of you know i I may give a dog a chance till it's eighteen months, two years old, and you know lots of people if they're not up on the front end by the time they're nine or ten months old, they've already give up.
2: Well, I was going to ask if he, if you saw that in him, what what age did he start?
1: I'm, you know, I was a young kid back then, but I'm I'm thinking it was 16, 18 months old before he ever turned a tap.
2: Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask if that's something you see in his bloodline that they that the dogs are um, slow starters that, that you have to give them a little time.
1: a uh, some, you know, most of them are slower starters, but most of them, you know, run off the bat, but it seems like with a lot of them that they don't come to their self till they're right at two years old, or maybe even a little older than that. Mm-hmm. But, but I actually, uh, I got one Jip though, uh, and I ended up winning the national with her. She was the hardest dog I ever had to start in my life. And she would not run; just sat and watched dogs run, and wouldn't run. And and this went on, this went on, and uh, finally she was up over two years old and hadn't never run. And I'd about give up on her, but she, boy, she just a nice looking jip, and I, I liked the dog. And then one day, she just fell in like she'd been doing it her whole life. I guess she had been watching it, and she start. Well, by fact, she uh she started running in May. And I won the July National with her in October. Wow. I mean, she went from doing nothing to being able to win in her you know, and in, in my biggest field trial of the year, she was she learned she knew enough to win, you know what That's kinda of crazy, isn't it? Yeah, that's crazy. I've never had one like that, but five months. And how was she
2: when she when she kicked in? She was a little over two. A little over two. And you know, in today's world, most of us would have not give her a chance. Most of us yeah. would have, you know, like you said, fi- 15, 16 months old, you know, probably said, eh, probably not going to make it.
1: And a deal with her, she was just one of them dogs that, you know, I liked her and, and you can tell when a dog's smart. I mean, she was a smart dog. I just couldn't figure out why she – wouldn't run, you know, lots of them dogs won't ever run or never pan out. You can usually tell they're, you know, there's something wrong there. That's why they don't do it right. But, you know, I always felt like she would and and she did. And I mean, now she's nine years old and she'll still run with anything I got right now.
2: Have you raised any litters off of her? Yes. And how they turned out?
1: Run the first time I ever took them.
2: Wow. So... So completely di- different style, like completely yeah. different, right?
1: Yep, completely different. But, I mean, I, I blame a lot of that on that you know, on that gray boy bloodline. I mean, a lot of my dogs are like that, you know, like when people would come and breed to him or get some of my bloodline. And, like I said, nine, ten months along, that didn't work out for them or they didn't like him, and got rid of them or whatever. And, you know, sometimes – you just got to wait them out. I mean, that's hard to do though, you know cuz when you're wanting them to perform for you, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and that was one of the other questions that that I was going to ask um is if if you're if you're solely running into pens and at what age and I and I guess it's kind of a broad question because I I can answer my own question. But what what do you what around what age are you liking to see something? Um, because people kind of, they'll ask me all the time. Well, you got rid of this dog really early, but you kept this dog longer, you know? And it, well, the first thing you said there, it should resonate with everybody. If you like a dog, you're going to hold on to that dog a little bit longer. You're going to give that dog extra chances and, um, opportunities. So liking a dog for me is huge. um, and then, you know, I, I like to watch the behavior. Like you said, she, she was smart, super smart. You know, if I'm seeing some of those characteristics, then I'm not in such a rush to to make my mind up. Um, what At what age or what is it that some of the things that you're looking for, around what age for that?
1: Oh, you know, with them dogs, you know, we, we spend – all that time with you know i go to look at them over you know from the time they're puppies you know you'll have your favorite picked out just you know preference or one that stands out to you but as far as running them i don't like to even start thinking about running a pup till it's six or seven months old you know and you know that's different a lot of people's different some people start them early but i like to start like taking them when they're six or seven months old and letting them run but now I like to start seeing them do good as soon as I start and get them going. But now I, I never push a puppy, like give them an hour here, or two hours, or maybe run them, you know, whatever, 10 days instead of every week or two or three times a week. You know, I, the deal with me, you know, you get them puppies and they get to running good. They, you need to let them develop and grow into being able to do that. You know, it, you know, they dog run 50, 60 miles a day. You know, that's a lot of beating bang on a pup.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I guess what I'm saying is I, I like to try to start mine when they're about six months old, but I sure don't try to start really running them till they're up around a year old.
2: Yeah, well, and I, that's kind of the same. I know we briefly talked about that before. You know, I, I've got some dogs that have matured a little faster, and I'll get them out at you know seven, eight months old, and I don't pressure them. I'm like you. I take them. I let them run around with me while I'm walking in the woods and um you know if they happen to take off and go on their own then that's great and if they don't then that's okay too i'm not in a rush by no means um but i don't i don't like my dogs to i want i want them to be a little bit more mature to handle um the pressure when they actually do catch that game um and i is that is that how you guys operate too as far as catching the coyote i mean
1: yeah because you know they're not mature you know a lot of them they're not ready for that you know if something goes wrong in that when they're young i don't know if that scars them mm-hmm. you know but but you know you want it, everything to go smooth with them but you know that's kind of a you know a tricky question you know when you start talking about the competition world and stuff you know puppy hunts puppy hunts are big in the hound world you know and, and if you're going to do the puppy hunt circuit you better start that pup when he's four or five months old and be around him two or three times a week and you know, he needs to be as good as as most old dogs when he's 10, 11 months old, if you want to do any good in that. And that's mm-hmm. what it takes. But the thing that's always kind of made me leery of those is I've never, there's a few, but I'm going to say one out of 10 of those exceptional pups ever make a hound. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. They're they're done. By, by the time they're 15, 16 months old, they seem like they're done. And I'm I'm more on the lines of, the longevity of it you know i want a dog to still be a good dog when it's five or six years old yeah absolutely and
2: i i i think you're hitting on a topic for another day but yeah we put so much pressure onto the young dogs sometimes that we break them and we do, we do not get the longevity out of them instead of looking at it long term we're we're being short termed and then like i said it 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 plays out that way i think so so let's get into the pen talk about you know what what you got going on um you know kind of how life is kind of dictating to you what you're doing right at this point in time
1: yeah because like i said you know first foremost you know i'm a houndsman I, i like you know people like howard owens you know he he runs his dogs to you know catch game and enjoy listening to the wild and that's what it that's what it's always been about for me, but, you know, I'm in that part of my life. I've got four kids that's playing sports, and I've got, you know, work and everything going on, and, and I don't really have the time to do my dogs the justice, you know, that they need by running in the wild all the time, so, so you know, I, I use the pen. You know, the pen helps me level that out. You know, I got, a, I got an enclosure, you know, in my backyard. You know, I got a 50-acre enclosure, and and I can run my dogs in there all the time. You know, I can run in there and, and do honey jobs around the house at the same time, you know. And that's not really what I enjoy about it. You know, I mean, I, I, mean, I enjoy listening to the dogs and watching it, but, but, you know, I still, even though I'm just running the pen, I like to keep my dogs in the old way. You know, they have to run their game. They have to, you know, stay up on that race all night you know i still look for all the traits that make a good hound but you know the pen right now is the only place i'm able to you know exercise
2: right and and it's kind of like what you were talking you can actually throw them in the pen and go mow your yard and do your chores and you know you're 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 doing two things at one time the dogs are getting to exercise or getting to run the game and then you know you're 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 being able to take care of t- take care of life on the side
1: oh uh, yeah because that's that's how it is with me you know I'd, I'd like to be out there you know on the outside coyote hunting three days a week but you know if it wasn't for my enclosure you know i i couldn't justify having a dog right now you know just it's that you know i'm that busy in my life you know i i can't make seven or eight hours a day to go out and go hunting but you know i can, I can do it right there if i just have to go five minutes you know behind the house to catch them you know
2: yeah and so do you have a pen at your house do you have your own
1: Yes, I got an enclosure right in my backyard. I got you.
2: Uh, and so you start putting your pups in there about six months old, you say?
1: Yep. yeah." Yep. start them in there about six months old, and then I, uh, you know, and that's where I condition my hounds for the competitions. You know, right right now, you know, i I, I just basically running in the enclosures right now, and I go to a, a competition every now and then. And, and, you know, you can really watch your dogs close, you know, if you're going to a hunt. You know, if you're in a pen and you can see your dogs and, you know, you can watch them get stronger or see what's – you kind of have a little mini field trial right there at your house every day and
0: kind Mm -hmm. of keep
1: up with your dog. You know, like when I run my dogs, I score my dogs and kind of keep tabs of them, you know, see what's going on. Because, you know, uh, here's one benefit to having a a pen. You know, most of our competitions are in a pen. So running in a pen don't hurt them. You know, that's that's Mm -hmm. where the competitions are going to be. But, like, you know, I got a dog right now. She's a, I call her old stiff leg. I've won the July National with her the last two years. She's won it two years in a row. And she's a good dog. I mean, one of my favorite dogs. But I've got a litter mate brother to her and another dog that if you watched them run at my house and if my buddies is over or watching or we're hunting, you know, say, well, how'd that go? Everybody will say, well, this, you know, stiff leg look good, but those two dogs are way better than her. You know, them's just, them's really nice dogs. I said, well, yeah, but I, I got the score wrote down right here. And guess what? She outscored them by about 300 points. You know, she's not flashy. She's just good, honest track dog. She's in every race, you know, getting them, gathering them scores. But if you watched her, you wouldn't think she was near the caliber of, of two of my other dogs, one of them being her little mate brother, but, She'll outscore them any you set them down. And, and I would never know that, you know, if I didn't have them, you know, watching them in the pen. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: how is she picking up points on them?
1: How, how, is she, how is she doing that? Just super consistent. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I know, you know, how the score system is, you know, 35 mm-hmm. points to first and increments of five down to about five points. But, you know, them other dogs, you know, they're in lots of the running and they'll have – you know the coyote and be the first dog and just plenty of speed and flying around. And she's always there. She's always in her hip pocket. She'll be second dog. She'll be third dog. Fourth dog. She'll be first dog several times. But she is just at no point is she ever slacking around or or not in a race. I mean, she's just probably the most consistent dog of staying hooked in a race that I've ever seen. And and she just outscores. Them.
2: Mm-hmm. well consistency is what we're all looking for <laughs> yeah you want that? And
1: she's not and she's no slouch i mean she's she's mm-hmm. a really really nice dog but but you know i got just by looks you know like her little mate brother i would feel like he was better than her you know
2: mm-hmm. yeah well i mean i guess i mean i mean you're pretty serious at it if you're like you know you have your own pen and you're running dogs and you're you're doing many many scores there at your house i mean you know what you got
1: oh yeah and and, you know and it takes a lot you know these competitions and and the competition has gotten so good and hounds have advanced so much i mean it's i mean it's a deal you know to get these dogs ready for them competitions they have to absolutely be in the shape of their life to be Mm -hmm. able to compete and plus you know used to you know 20 years ago a lot of it was just kind of the process of elimination. You know, if a dog started out winning a hunt more than likely he wasn't going to finish. And, you know, there'd be a dog that was towards the back of the pack. The whole hunt would end up winning. Cause you know, most of the dogs wouldn't be able to finish the hunt would get disqualified, mm-hmm. but it's not like that now, you know, the conditioning programs and everybody just so more advanced on that end of things that you better have a dog. That's the front dog from the first minute to the last day. I mean,
2: when you talk about conditioning programs, run me through that. It kind of piqued
1: my curiosity there. Oh, I mean, there's a lot, of, you know, there's a lot of different styles. You know, like in this uh like this let's just go to this July National contest. You know, that's uh three days in a row. You know, they run three five hour days. They run three consecutive days. But anyway, them dogs they can't, you know, they're running a coyote or looking for a coyote or hunting or trailing, but they can't quit at any time and during that fifteen hour span, they can't Lay down. They can't stand around too much listening. I mean, it's called loafing and they'll get eliminated for it. So they have to stay on the move for 15 hours. Well, you know, I didn't really realize this until the, you know, the Garmin's and the GPS world come around. But, you know, some of them dogs running 50, 60 miles a day. Well, that's 180 miles in three days. I mean, that, that, that's condition. you know, the dog has to be conditioned to, you know, be able to handle that. So how, how
2: long does it take to prepare for that? Like, you know, for me, of course, I mean, I'm on the hunting side of it. Not, not that, but you know, if I'm not, if I'm, if I literally go into, um, training season cold, which means I've not had my dogs out, it takes me a good two weeks to three weeks to get my dogs in good running shape, get their feet toughened up, um, get them where they need to be. Uh, before i can start catching bear consistently now i'll catch some bear here and there but i won't do it consistently until i get those dogs in good running shape so is this something that you guys because if you listen to the sled dog guys you know that's something they say is they they never they're all the time even if it's just a little bit of exercise they're continually exercising their dogs so it's not as hard to get them back to tip-top shape so how, how does how does your guys' regiment? How long does it take to get in that that type of running
1: shape? I think it takes four months. Is what I, is is my belief? You know, if I'm gonna go to that contest and compete, you know, I'll it, it's a four month process for me, and about three month about three months and a week into it, you can really tell it. It so I know it. I know it takes at least three months. To get a dog in as good a shape as he can be.
2: Now, is that every day running? Is that every couple days? How, how does that um, how, how does that work with you guys? Because I know if I run my dogs hard for and I, and of course I don't have running dogs, so you know I guess that may be different. But if I run my dogs hard through the mountains for two or three days, I usually give them a day or two break. Now I've got some that'll go but you can definitely see that spunk's not in them.
1: Right. I mean, a lot of people's different. You know, a lot of people go to that, they might, you know, they might run them eight hours at a time once a week or all night once a week or two days a week. But I hate to give away too many secrets, but everybody's got their own. But I I like to ease them into it like I'll, start out you know i keep my dogs in somewhat shape all year long but when i get ready and i've been started for about the last month and a half getting ready for this year but i'll run them once a week for five or six hours and then do that a week or two and then i'll move it up to give them you know run them every six days and every five days Mm -hmm. but when it's said and done i'm running them dogs i'm running them dogs 35 miles every other day oh wow yeah well,
2: that's. I mean, that'll definitely get them in shape for sure. I didn't really. I mean, I never. You know, I never really looked at that three to four months. Um, like I said, our seasons don't last long enough to to even get a dog in shape. Really, <laughs> I mean, we're we're running every. You know, in September and December, I run as much as possible. But you know, weather. You know, if we have ice, we don't run. If, you know, if it's pouring down rain you know, I don't run in the rain. So, uh, even if I could, I mean, i got, I've got 60 days training season and then 30, 35 days in, in kill season. So I've got 90 days just to be able to do it. That's it. Yeah.
1: And I'm, and you know, like I said, I keep my dogs in shape all year and you know, for the first, then when I start that, you know, for the first two months, you know, you would think them dogs, you, you would think them dogs are in, in as good a shape as they could be in. And with the training program I got going on, you know, they'll be a little lull, and you know, they'll be running really good. Then there's like a little lull where they kind of.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But now when they come up out of that and peak, mm-hmm. you know, at the very end of that, and about and it takes about four months when they come out of that, them, you know, them dogs that I got ready to go to the national, they're running the best I've ever seen them run their entire lives. I mean, it, that's where my theory is it takes four months to get a dog in shape. Yeah. No,
2: I I completely get that. I can, like I said, I, I wished I could run mine, you know, like kind of like you. If I could just at le- re- least run them once a week year round, it'd be 10 times better than what they're, what they get now for sure. So, well, JR, um, Is there anything else before we wrap up here? What, let's see, I asked you about the, well, I want to ask you this question. I know we talked about it earlier. Do you know any guys or anybody that are mixing your running stock into the tree stock? Do you know anybody's doing that? And if so, what are the results?
1: Not, not a lot. I mean, I know, uh, you know, in the South, I know some, uh, deer doggers and stuff, you know, they like to mix a lot of running ham with tree and stock to run deer. Mm -hmm. And, but the only, you know, like bigger game that I know of is Idaho or Oregon or somewhere. I know there's some boys that use some Julys and and run some bears and stuff with them. Mm -hmm. And, and actually I don't know, where they ever went to but i sent some dogs when i was in high school it's been 20 years ago and and they went to virginia and and made bear dogs but i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to tell you who had them. yeah well it'd be my neck of the woods for sure
2: um but there's a lot of bear hunters in virginia too i mean you got you got the guys down on you know east of the blue ridge and then you got us west of the blue ridge and um it's it's pretty populated for
1: sure so and and that deal there with me sending them bear dogs out there kid that hunted with me you know my same age as being grown up with him he had dogs and he moved out there and when he came back he said all oh, them boys is wanting some hounds and he took some pups i give him some pups and he took out there and sold to some boys and they supposedly made good bear dogs but i don't have a clue where or who they went to you know mm-hmm. right right right
2: <clears throat> And I guess another question I have about the July, because, you know, I looked them up and started doing, are most of these dogs white or have a blondish tint to them?
1: Mostly they got some white, but now a July is a dog, they're they're any color under the rainbow. They can be black, white, uh, buckskin, calico, brennel. I mean, there's a lot of them look just like plots. I mean, some of them look like mountain curves. I mean, they... uh, most of mine are gray, you know, which goes back to that gray dog that come out of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, there are there is no one set color with Julies. I mean, they are abs. There's nothing, uh, nothing out of bounds when it comes to them.
2: Huh? Where do they get all the color scheme from then? Like,
1: well, I don't know. You know they. <laughs> You know, like I said, I got them Catahoulas and stuff, and a lot of my Julys look just like Catahoulas. So that kind of makes me wonder about that sometimes. That uh-huh. you know they're, you know they're not supposed to be. They're supposed to be just, you know, them was hounds that was brought over here in the eighteen hundreds, and they've just been. You know, there was some tree, you know, running Walker dogs in there early. You know, that's what they bred them to to get started. But then it just becomes the July breed. But. Mm-hmm. But no there's no uh there's absolutely no telling what color you'll get
2: huh well that's that's cr- that's crazy because i wouldn't have thought that like i said most of the pictures that i'd seen and i know they paint them for those hunts so they've got they can see the numbers and stuff so maybe maybe i was seeing more of that side of it
1: right right but yeah and, and you never know that's just like I, I like a gray dog i i like to keep them gray mm-hmm. and like I said, i've been breeding gray dogs to gray dogs for 30 years and i'll get a lemon spotted pup about every litter you know where does i mean you know it's coming back you know generations you can't even see in a pedigree somewhere there's some lemon spots because i'll I'll get lemon spots yeah but isn't there
2: isn't there a guy down in texas around that area that's got some of those lemon spotted dogs
1: oh yeah there's there's several lemon spotted dogs
2: Mm mm-hmm yeah, and I've seen I've seen some of the guys that are mixing the running dogs with the hound the tree dogs, I've seen several of those that are lemon spotted. So um is it safe to say that if they're lemon spotted, they're probably coming from a July side or would they be coming from a
1: trig or a running walker? Well, I would I would like to think it was coming from the running walker. That's why I don't like spots. You know, that. Ah. that I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, don't not like walkers, but I'm more Mm -hmm. biased to July's. So I kind of like my July's to look what I want a July to look like.
2: Yep. No, absolutely.
1: I don't want to to be looking like a walker.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I get that. That's for sure.
1: But on, you know, on that deal, one of the best dogs I ever had was a walker dog. Oh, yeah one of my hunting buddies give me a walker dog just to make fun of me because that's a 16 year old kid and just had lies. That's all I thought there ever was. And one of my hunting buddies named Harold Yolkham, he, he gave me a walker pup just to aggravate me more than anything. That's running. But anyway, I went to run him, and man, I kind of really liked that dog. And, and I actually, I won more hunts with that dog than any hound I ever owned. I won five or six hunts that one summer. And then, I drove five hours to the our state championship is on the uh, held in the wild, had right at three hundred dogs in it, and I, I won it with that Walker dog. It was the first, uh, first champion, first championship I ever won, Missouri State, with a hound, and it was for the Walker. So,
2: like a tree and Walker, not a running Walker. No, yeah. it was a running Walker. Running Walker. Okay,
1: I got you. Yeah, but them's all about the same, in my opinion.
2: <laughs> well i i don't know enough difference about it for sure but uh, they sure do look a lot alike don't they
1: they sure look alike but now they But I mean, no they's good in absolutely all of them yeah so i'm not completely biased i did have a really good walker dog one time
2: well if you want to want to hunt you can't knock it can you nope <laughs> it's, uh, it's easy to like something if it's winning yeah that, that's that's the truth that's the truth it's easier to hold on to it i always say i'm not colorblind but i have my preferences but a good hound is a good hound and i don't care what color you color it.
1: yep and a good hound is a good hound and papers you know a good hound ain't got no papers either i mean yeah a good hound's a good hound yeah
2: so so jr is there anything you want to leave us with any any knowledge any advice anything that you want to put out there before we before we wrap this up
1: no not that i think of off top hand i ain't went to line yet so <laughs> we might want to wrap it up because i'm about to point about start line if you're going to hear any more out of me
2: yeah we'll, we'll we'll keep at it to we'll keep at it the down low but, but it,
1: no i guess uh, one thing i would say uh i guess if we struck the ear of any turkey hunters out there have them look up my turkey calls i guess rolling thunder game calls you'll yeah see my See my ugly mug right there on a turkey call box.
2: Yeah, like I said, that that was kind of. I mean, like I said, I, I like the turkey hunt. That's that's my second favorite thing to do. And you know, was, you know, I didn't I didn't have a clue until I talked to you that that uh, that was something that you'd done. And then when I I looked it up, I was like, man, he's won that one. He's won that one. He's won that six times. He's won that four times. <laughs> I was like, holy cow! So kind of kind of a privilege and an honor to have you on here. So. Yeah. And maybe we'll run into you at the, in Nashville next year for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. you make her down there, look me up.
2: Oh, I'm going to. I'll text you and and let you know. Like I said, I'm gonna to try to get down there for a couple of days anyway, for just to to around and um. You know, I always like to look at the new stuff, and I never can. I know we're getting back to the turkey hunting. I never can find a vest that suits me. Um, I've got several vests, and I I looked at them all spring, and because I didn't get to hunt. I didn't hunt the five days this year. I kind of put it on the back burner, but that's one of my goals next year when I go down there is to find me a vest that I, that, that works for what, what I needed to do.
1: Yeah. Them, uh, the Mr. Fox Turkey vest. That's what everybody's going AP over right now.
2: Oh yeah. Is that Mossy Oak? Yeah. Yeah. Now you work with Mossy Oak, don't you? I pro staff for them. Yeah. That's what I thought. So but
1: everybody
2: likes that vest. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I looked at them. Um, like I said, I kind of, I was looking at them, researching them, and then I kind of just put it on the back burner. I let it, let it go. Maybe, maybe this winter when I'm bored, I'll, I'll get back into it for sure.
1: They, they come out with that vest down there at the NWTF in Nashville back in February. and those people, these people slept in line all night to get one of them. That's crazy, isn't it? That's crazy. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> Well, it might uh, be a pretty good if people would stand in line for a day and a half for them.
2: Yeah. I wonder
1: if they're rolling them out of production now or they're still short. Uh, I'd be lying if I told you, but I'm thinking, you know, they had like the limited editions, you know, the numbered ones, but I think that person probably getting just a regular one.
2: Yeah. Right. I get you. All right, JR. Just like we finish every podcast, um, man it's been a, it's been an honor to have you on um, i appreciate it and thank you for helping us teach train and learn about the july hounds